Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, as we continue in our series, Lord, teach us to pray an exposition of uh, the Lord's Prayer. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We uh, will actually begin in verse 5 and read this entire section, which includes the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for the great privilege we have to sit under the preaching of your word. And every one of us in this room is under is under the authority of your word. We do ask that you would teach us, instruct us, correct us, rebuke us, train us, that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, but most importantly, that we would abide in Christ as our only means of salvation. Him alone. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Seated. Well, as Jesus begins to give his instruction in prayer, he tells us not to be like the hypocrites. Uh, hypocrites were those uh, in uh, the Greco-Roman world who were like actors, right? You know this word hypocrite in the Greek, it, it means someone who has a mask on. It means that they are one thing, but they are trying to appear as Another, And he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, what are the hypocrites like? Well, he explains, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. They may be seen by others. Praying to be seen, a religion to be seen. Uh, it's not sincere. It's not genuine. It's something that's uh, it's a show. Uh, they're acting. Um, and we never want to be found praying in this way or attending worship in this way or living the Christian life in this way. We were hearing some testimonies earlier uh, with the elders and uh, were reminded of how easy it is for young people to not own their faith, to not own their faith, but to sort of go with the flow, to ride on the coattails of their parents or their tradition or their church. But what we find in Scripture is that we need to, by God's grace, own our faith as individuals, as a part of a collective body. 
the body of Christ. But we must own our faith. We must ourselves put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and prayer is an expression of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was the first point I made last week, that the spiritual, uh, there's a spiritual impulse of prayer in the Christian's life. Prayer is the air that the Christian breathes. It's prayer is the reflex of saving faith. Without prayer, the Christian lives in his or her own strength. Without prayer, a person is living autonomously. What is the Christian life? What is a relationship with God without prayer? It's all one-sided. It's, it's, it's never a true expression of Christian faith or piety. Prayer is essential to a walk with God. If we find ourselves never praying, it means that we have a, a very poor or perhaps non-existent relationship with God. And by the way, sometimes people like to say, well, um, I have no relationship with God at all. Uh, well, here's the thing. Everyone has a relationship with God. Some people have a good relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Some people have a bad relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. But everyone in the entire world has a relationship with God, right? And uh, that's uh, perhaps a point you can make with friends or neighbors or coworkers when uh, they want to dodge the question altogether. The fact is every person has a relationship with God, but the true Christian has a spiritual impulse of praying. So prayer is the impulse of the Christian believer. And when Jesus talks about, uh, in this passage, going into your room and into your closet and praying, he isn't negating public prayer. He isn't saying, you know, never pray in public or in groups. He's saying that those who only pray in public and never pray on their own are exercising a kind of hypocrisy. Like the husband who only praises his wife in public, but never in private. Uh, what kind of a, a marriage would, would that be? Well, it's a hypocritical one. It's one where there's show and, uh, and uh, acting, but not the reality. And then he goes on to say, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles would have certain phrases that they would say over and over and over and over and over again, trying to whip up their false gods into uh, action. But we don't pray like that. Uh, there are some forms of charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches, some traditions in that movement where there is this kind of repetitive over and over and over. And sometimes it comes through music and song, singing the same words over and over and over and over again in order to sort of stir up God to act and to move. But we don't approach God like that. It says here, they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Does that put you off in your praying, or does it comfort you in your praying to know that God knows what you need before you ask Him? Well, it should comfort you, dear believer. Because when you pray... You're not praying to a God who doesn't know what you're going to ask Him. What kind of a God would that be? That you, your little finite person, that we as finite creatures are telling God things that He needs to know so He can help us. Of course not. We pray to a sovereign God. 
he already knows what we're going to ask him before we ask him. Say, well, pastor, I guess that means I don't have to pray. Well, obviously, that's not what this text is teaching. Jesus is saying, when you pray, there is an expectation of prayer, but not an expectation that you'll be informing God or changing God. As C.S. Lewis once said, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. It's an expression of our trust in God, and God uses our prayers to bring about his purposes in the world. That's amazing that God does that. It's mysterious, but the Lord empowers us, and he uses our prayers to bring about his own will in our lives. I remember before coming to Charleston to plant this church, Marla and I were praying for all these different things, and it was just this extraordinary few weeks where everything we were praying was like happening. It was like all the answers were coming quickly, and I was telling my friends, if you need something, just let me know because God is answering all my prayers. Our, our, all the money has come in for the church plant. Our house has sold in a terrible economy. Uh, all these things are just lining up. It's amazing how God is just blazing the way for us to go uh, to Charleston to plant a church. Uh, sometimes uh, that happens, but, you know, it's more often than not that uh, the Lord makes us wait when we pray. And he teaches us to be patient and he teaches us to be persevering in our, our prayers. But God knows what we need before we ask him. But then Jesus answers uh, the a question that the, uh, the apostles ask in the parallel text in Luke. Lord, teach us to pray. He gives them the Lord's prayer, as we now call it. And this prayer we learned last week is an extraordinary privilege. It's an extraordinary privilege privilege. Prayer is not a right, it's a privilege, the privilege that was purchased by Jesus Christ at a cost of his very own blood. And then finally, we learn that the gospel logic of prayer to the Father, that in prayer, we approach God the Father through the mediation of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very form in which we pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit reinforces, highlights, underlines, underscores the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Father sent His Son into the world to save us, and the Father and the Son sent His Spirit into the world to unite us to Christ so that we would have the first fruits of the Spirit and that gospel resurrection hope that we heard about this morning. So praying our Father who art in heaven reflects the grace of the gospel. It speaks to the reconciliation and peace that we have with God. It speaks to the right standing we have with the Father through Jesus. We learned last week from Ephesians 2.18, For through Him, that is through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. There's the Holy Trinity. Through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that's what we learned last week. Our Father who art in heaven. This is what uh, has been called the preface to the Lord's Prayer. We pray to the Father. We, we pray to the Father. This should be the normal way in which we pray. A large percentage of our prayers should begin with Heavenly Father, Merciful Father, Our Father. It's a privilege. You may call, if you are in Christ, you may call God Father. So call Him Father. 
In the name of Jesus, pray these prayers, our mediator. But this evening we come to this first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, the preface, hallowed be thy name, the first petition. Now, there's something important about a name, right? Names are, are no small thing. We uh, considered this a bit uh, a while back in, our, uh, in a former series. Uh, but names are significant. They carry meaning. Um, it's fun to hear about uh, names and why certain people are named certain things. Names become a part of our identity. Parents want to name their uh, children uh, names that are significant or special to them in some way. Perhaps it's a family name, uh, maybe a, a name from history, maybe a, a biblical name. Uh, what associations uh, should the name have or will the name have? Um, I think I've mentioned before that when Marla and I were in Edinburgh and we were expecting our firstborn, uh, I had uh, the silly notion that I was going to have an opportunity to help name the child. Um, but uh, Marla already had it worked out, and uh, uh, I did suggest some names uh, to, to her. Uh, uh, I, I like the name Margaret. It's a beautiful Scottish name. I like the name Claire. Um, uh, Marla liked those names a lot, but she had one in mind, a, a beautiful, unique double name, uh, Mary Hannah. When our son came along, I said, all right, my turn to name child. Um, and uh, so I wanted to name him Hans Martin Luther Augustine uh, uh, Calvin Knox Payne. Uh, I didn't think that was too much. Um, I did want to name him Hans Martin Luther Payne, but uh, Marla nixed that longish name. So we did Hans Martin uh, Payne, a strong, historic, masculine name. And when I hear those names of my children, it, it does uh, evoke thoughts and feelings uh, that they never did prior to having children, having my own children. Um, I can't think of my children without thinking of their names. Their names are a part of who they are, part of their identity. If you bless someone's name, you bless them. If you curse someone's name, you curse them. You can't separate a person's name from who they are. And this gives us some, some insight uh, into the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, may your name, O God, be reverenced. May it be respected. May it be glorified. We, we pray this prayer, the first petition, that the name of God would be hallowed and, and reverenced. And, and this kind of longing for God's name to be hallowed and reverenced in our lives personally and in the world uh, collectively, this ought to be the trajectory of our Christian lives. It ought to impact the manner and attitude with which we live. And, and, and of course, we want to live with this kind of reverent joy that we hear about in Psalm chapter 2. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this, 
quote, there must be a holy fear mixed with the Christian's joy. This is a sacred compound yielding a sweet smell, and we must see to it that we burn no other upon the altar. Our lives should be characterized by this joyful reverence for God. It's one reason why I'm so drawn to historic Reformed worship. Uh, worship shouldn't be dour uh, and, uh, and, and, and angry and uh, uh, annoyed. Uh, Reformed worship should have a kind of a joyful reverence to it. Our hearts are lifted up even as we approach our king uh, with reverent worship. Uh, but in terms of various texts where we see the name of God being reverenced and, and considered, uh, Psalm 75.1 says this, We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Again, God and his name are considered the same. Psalm 66.1, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Uh, Psalm 75.1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. And in Psalm 68.4, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Psalm 8, verse 1a. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 29 and verse 2. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Is the Lord a strong tower or is the name of the Lord a strong tower? Yes, it's the same. And so this is how God's name is mentioned in Scripture. All these verses and hundreds more convey the highest praise and trust and reverence and adoration of the name of the Lord. I want to read to you. Uh, you're welcome to turn in your hymnals, if you'd like, to the larger catechism. Uh, actually, there is a, a wonderful question and answer uh, on this first petition uh, in the larger catechism. And I had it marked, and I lost my place. It is um, 190, question 190 of the larger catechism. Listen to what our forefathers who wrote the Westminster Larger Catechism in the 1640s wrote to the question 190, what do we pray for in the first petition? Answer, in the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, acknowledging the utter inability and indisposition that is in ourselves and all men to honor God aright. So the reason, they say, first of all, why we say hallowed be thy name is because of the utter inability of mankind in and of ourselves to properly reverence and hallow the name of God. And so we pray that his name would be hallowed. We pray that his name would be hallowed because we know we cannot do this on our own. And so we pray to God 
that we'd be able to honor him aright and that all men would be able to honor him aright. He goes on, we pray that God would by his grace enable and incline us and others to know, to acknowledge, and highly to esteem him, his titles, attributes, ordinances, word, works, and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by, and to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, that he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him, not only in our own lives, but in the world, and by his overruling providence, direct and dispose of all things to his glory. Now, what you will find are a lot of similarities between this idea of hallowing the name of God and the third commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in in vain. You'll find lots of similarities, lots of relatedness to these two ideas, and particularly as they are unfolded in uh, the larger and shorter catechisms. Well, for the remainder of our time, I want us to draw attention towards several points that Thomas Watson makes in his classic 17th century work on the Lord's Prayer, where he asks this question, when may we be said to hallow and sanctify God's name? When may we be said to hallow and sanctify God's name? He gives several reasons. I'm going to go through these uh, at a fairly good clip. Uh, I want to draw our attention to these important points that Watson makes on this subject of hallowing God's name. First of all, first of all, we hallow or reverence God's name when we profess his name. When we profess his name. Our meeting in his holy assembly is an honor done to his name. So when we gather together in corporate worship and we profess or confess his name in public and in a manner that is honoring and glorifying to him, we hallow the name of God. And so the Lord's Prayer is very much connected. Remember, it's not my father, but what? our Father, and we gather together as the people of God to pray our Father. As I mentioned last week, it reinforces that we are members of the body of Christ and not to see ourselves as sort of individuals that are working everything out on our own apart from the life of the church. So we profess His name, and we hallow His name when we do this. Secondly, we hallow and sanctify God's name, Watson says, when we have a high appreciation and esteem of him and set him highest in our thoughts. When we set him highest in our thoughts, when he is the chief end of our lives, when we esteem him above all things. You know, if someone were to follow us around for a week, what would they say we esteemed most, that we valued most, that we adored most? This is to hallow God's name, to adore him and delight in him. And in the words of Watson, quote, to esteem him a supereminent and incomprehensible God, 
Don't you love that? To esteem him as super eminent. The highest place in our minds and in our hearts. This is to hallow God's name. Thirdly, we hallow and sanctify his name when we trust in it. When we trust in his name above all names. Psalm 33, 21, we have trusted in his holy name. Watson says, unbelief stains God's honor and eclipses his name. Fourthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we never make mention of it, but with the highest reverence. His name is sacred and it must not be spoken of, but with veneration. This is connected to the third commandment. We don't speak God's name in vain. We don't joke about God. If or when we do, we confess that sin and we look to Christ for forgiveness. But we don't want to be a people who make light. You know, uh, we, of course, uh, appreciate uh, sometimes the uh, humor of the Babylon Bee, Uh, that sarcasm is uh, sometimes so true and, uh, and can be humorous, but there are times when they cross the line. And uh, we should be aware of this because we are not hallowing God's name when we are laughing at something that is giving levity to the name of God or to the works of God or to the attributes of God or to the titles of God, as our confession says. And so we hallow God's name when we never make mention of it, but with the highest reverence. Fifthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we love his name. When we love his name, Watson says. Psalm 511, let them that love thy name be joyful. I love this. Watson says, he must have the cream and flour of our love. The best of our love. The highest of our love. When it's the Lord's, we hallow his name. Sixthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we give him our holy and spiritual worship. Worship that he has appointed and worship that is from the heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We hallow his name by worshiping him in sincerity and according to his truth. Seventh, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we hallow his day. He writes, let no man think God's name is hallowed while his Sabbath is broken. God's name is very much attached to the Sabbath day. And so we observe the Lord's day and we hallow God's name when we honor and observe the day that he has made for worship and discipleship. Eighthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we ascribe the honor of all we do to him. Psalm 96, 8, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. We sanctify his name when we ascribe the honor of all that we do to him. Ninthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name by our obedience to him. How can we hallow the name of God apart from seeking to 
obey his commands by his grace and enabling spirit. Tenth, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we lift up his name in our praises. Eleventh, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we sympathize with him. In other words, when we grieve at what he grieves over. I think there is a tendency that we can have when we find ourselves being conformed to this world that we begin to laugh and to be comfortable with things that grieve the heart of God. There are those like David Wells who have said that we have forgotten how to blush in our culture. Things that made us blush back in the 1950s now are things that we just pass over or pass by or watch or are comfortable with. It's true, I would guess, of every person in this room that things that used to make us uncomfortable 15, 20 years ago no longer do as they ought. And so we hallow and sanctify God's name when we sympathize with what grieves him. Twelfthly, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we give the same honor to God, the Son, that we give to God, the Father. When we honor the Son, we honor the Father. God sent His Son into the world to be glorified and to glorify the Father. And the Spirit was sent into the world to glorify the Father and the Son. And so we sanctify God's name, Watson says, when we give this same honor to God the Son that we give to God the Father. Thirteenth, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we stand up for His truths. Think of Daniel. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Standing up for the truth of God before the Babylonian powers, superpowers, you hallow God's name when you stand up for his truth, when, when you are at work and people are blaspheming God and, and you say, hey, wait just a minute. May I share with you a different perspective on that? When you stand up for God, when teenagers are amongst their peers and they are saying things that are untrue or, or hurtful or blasphemous to say, well, may I interject here? When you stand up for the truth, this hallows God's name. Fourteenth, we hallow and sanctify God's name by leading others to Christ, by endeavoring for the salvation of others. As we seek to be witnesses in the world, we hallow God's name. Fifteenth, we hallow and sanctify God's name when we prefer the honor of his name before the dearest things in this world, before the dearest things of this world. And then finally, we hallow and sanctify God's name by a holy life, by a life that conforms to God's commands. And so as we come to the Lord's Prayer, this prayer, which is a model prayer, not a prayer that we uh, simply recite without any thought uh, or mechanically or with some kind of a formalistic, sentimental manner, uh, like a good luck charm. No, this is a, a structure which teaches us important aspects of prayer and informs our prayers so that we fill out our prayers. Why do I present these 16 points from Thomas Watson's uh, popular 17th century book uh, on the Lord's Prayer? 
is to show all these various ways that hallowed be thy name ought to be understood and to inform the way that we as Christians pray. Our Father in heaven, the opening line which reinforces the gospel, that our Father is our Father precisely because he sent his Son into the world to live a sinless life and to die a sacrificial and atoning death. And on that cross, to literally go through hell, the wrath of God, the judgment of God for you and for me. And then to pay the wages of sin and to go into the grave for three days. And then on the third day, to rise again from the dead. And to show himself to be truly who he said he was and who he is. And he, after 40 days of of showing himself to the disciples and teaching them of the kingdom of God, he ascended into heaven and he was, he was put at the right hand of God and he is seated there as our high priest, the one who gave himself for us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. And, and the spirit was sent into the world that we would know him be united to him. And so our Father in heaven, it reinforces the gospel. It reinforces why we are welcome to this table. And hallowed be your name, this first petition. It reinforces all of these points that were made by Watson, that we are to reverence and to honor and to glorify and to worship and to obey and to live a holy life. This is all wrapped up in this phrase, hallowed be your name. May it be our prayer. May it be our prayer as God's people. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord's Prayer. We thank you for the instruction that comes before the Lord's Prayer, to not be hypocrites, but to, to live our Christian lives with sincerity, to own our faith, to be those who Bow the knee to King Jesus, the one who bears the nail-scarred hands and feet, who gave his life as a substitution for sinners. The king dying for his people, something almost unheard of. But we thank you that, Father, that you sent your son into this world to be our propitiation, to bear the wrath of God in our stead. And we thank you, uh, Father, that we are taught here how to pray as sincere Christians. We thank you that we don't need to be hyper-repetitive and seek to inform you of things going on in our lives, but know that even as we cast our burdens and cares upon you, you know what our cares and burdens are, and you want to hear from your children, and you want us to trust you. And you want to use our prayers to bring about your will in our lives and to conform us more into the image of your son and to change us. We know that prayer doesn't change you, it changes us. And so, Father, we do pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, not only in our own lives personally, but in our church, hallowed be your name. And in this world, hallowed be your name. O Lord, come quickly that your name would be hallowed in the new heavens and the new earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name.